Right, everybody, welcome to the 205th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man Sage in Beaverton, Oregon, sweating my balls off, ready to get this podcast started. I'm I'm ready to be in a much better mood than I was during the stream last night when I lagged the entire day. So I'm I'm ready, willing, and able to be a positive person since we are going to the playoffs. And salute to you for drinking beer it, it is a hot one there is nothing better than a cold beer had a little ogle made some sangria so i was drinking that during the game but afterwards i i had a leftover breakfast burrito so i was already feeling good about myself a couple of uh mexican lagers from ex novo in the blazer glass i don't know if y'all can see this probably not because you're hearing us and not seeing us but i have got the cj jersey and the terry porter hat representing the the two members of the Game 7 30-point club, and tonight was basically damn near a Game 7 for the Portland Trailblazers. They did not, as C.J. McCollum put it post-game, want to play again tomorrow. They handled their business as the eighth seed in the play-in, advancing to the postseason, defeating the Memphis Grizzlies in another nail-biter, 126-122, to outscoring the Grizzlies 37-28 to in that fourth and final quarter. Sage, are we ever going to get a blowout Blazer victory, or is that just Blazer fans asking too much there? Why would you ever expect something easy? It's twenty twenty, Doug. What has been easy other than like the planet improving because the humans aren't on it, and you know animals that don't have sex have sex and are making babies? Everything else has been difficult, bro. <laughs> The Blazers went up by as many as 16 points in that first quarter. Got down by as many as, I believe, eight or nine points. It was almost a carbon copy of the first game in the bubble between these two teams. But the Blazers were able to pull it out, um, be really behind the strength of their big three. Damian Lillard has 31 and 10, only has to take 15 shots, gets to the line 14 times, converts all of them, playing 45 minutes. It's incredible that this is viewed as an average game for Dame, but it completely efficient, had complete command of the game. He gets a lot of help from his backcourt running mate, CJ McCollum, playing with a fractured back, goes off for 29 points, 11 of 19 shooting, gives it to John Morant on basically three straight possessions, so let's put some respect on his fucking name as well. And then Yusuf Nurkic playing with an incredibly heavy heart, finding out on the way to the arena that his grandma had lost her battle with COVID-19, somehow summons the courage and the energy to play 41 minutes, which is a huge number for our Bosnian beast. 22 points, 21 rebounds, six assists, two steals, two blocks, two of three from downtown, uh, just a monumental performance from the Blazers' big three. And then we would be remiss if we didn't talk about Gary Trent Jr. and Carmelo Anthony, each yet again coming up with clutch threes in the fourth, specifically Carmelo Anthony in that same exact spot where he burnt Memphis in game one of that bubble series. Sage, it, it was tough. It was a roller coaster. 
the Blazers basically played four straight winner-go-home games, but they finally get two days rest before heading into the postseason. What did you like about today's game? I mean, there was a lot of things to like. Dame having a, a game where he went to the free throw line 14 times, which would be a top top 10 free throw day for this season. And Nurkic playing some big minutes. I mean, he really is a calming presence for us with his play. We were kind of sporadic for a lot of the second half until he came in and kind of set the tone. We gave up a lot of interior pressure. And that last five minutes, Nurkic made a real stand of, I'm not going to contest by trying to block. I'm going to do the verticality type of defense. And that's what you need when you got a guy like John Morant just sprinting to the basket every time. You just have to be in his way and do verticality and not try and, you know, get fouls called on you, but just stay vertical, make the shot difficult. Nurkic had probably top five best games of his career in the biggest moment in a long time. And you touched on a few things. One, Dame goes 14 for 14 from the line. As a team, the Blazers got to the charity stripe 41 times and made them count. They converted 35 times. Portland had a plus 17 advantage on the free throw column. You touched on the rebounds. We were really going a five-six man rotation in that second half. We got bullied on the boards. Uh, Memphis out-rebounded us 49 to 39. And then lastly, Yusuf Nurkic. He tends to pick up fouls in bunches, and he did that in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter. But even though he was logging the most minutes that he has probably logged in his career, he played with five fouls for a long time. And you hit the nail on the head, Sage. He was able to defend without fouling. And I think a lot of big men are starting to realize, I don't need to get the block. I don't need to get that sports center top 10, you know, just clamp. He went straight up and he made players make difficult shots. And in today's NBA, it's all about how many possessions you can get with the basketball. So the more difficult you can make it for your opponents, the better. And that's exactly what he did. And that shows growth mm. for him as a player because that there's been a couple of knocks on him, not being able to finish around the rim, not logging more than 30 minutes and fouling too much. He checked all of those boxes off emphatically this afternoon. Roy Hibbard made Buku Bucks playing the verticality game. It's, it's a smart way to defend the basket when you've got a guy that's just blitzing that mother. I, I keep saying build the wall against the, the, the basket. You being able to just put your big-ass body in front of the hoop and jumping straight up is a perfect way to make sure that they have to do some miraculous finish to get, to get the, the points. Like, Nurkic is just showing – he had a few bad games, but he is just showing his versatility on all fronts. He's finishing. He's throwing lobs to Hassan. He's assisting well. He's shooing threes. He spot, took two spot-up threes. Like he's, he's expanded his game, and it's really helping the, the, the Blazers get into the playoffs. Another area that I was pleasantly surprised with was the defense. And I know if you're listening to this, you're saying, Dustin, the Blazers gave up 122 points. I I completely uh, agree. Like, that is way too many points for a shorthanded Memphis team. 
but Memphis only had 19 points in the first quarter. We were extremely active, and that's when we had our most amount of bodies to be able to throw out there. Zach Collins only played seven minutes. We were very active. We had our hands in the passing lanes. We were making the smart reads, uh, forcing John Morant to shoot from from outside and, and really not allowing any dribble penetration. We dug deep and got the stops we needed in the fourth quarter, only allowing 28 points. Uh, those So we bookended Memphis, 19 and 28 points. Those were easily their lowest output performances over the, those four quarters. And we did so really by playing five, six guys, if you count Wenyan Gabriel, because Mario Hozonia didn't see the floor in the second half. Zach Collins has a left ankle inflammation, didn't see the floor in the second half. And Hassan Whiteside just didn't have a good game. There's no other way to put it. It was a terrible matchup against Brandon Clark. He logs 14 minutes. So you're really looking at Mello, Gary Trent Jr., Yusuf Nurkic, Damian Lillard, and CJ McCollum all logging 35-plus minutes. And in the case of our big three, all over 41 minutes. I was happy that they were able to grind this one out on the defensive end. They got the stops when they needed to, especially Gary Trent Jr. Playing those passing lanes, like they would have been a better defensive team had they just had more bodies, had Trevor Ariza been available, had Rodney Hood been available, even Zach Collins. Like it's really difficult to play this type of intensity for 40 plus minutes and knowing they've been doing that ever since they set foot in the bubble. So when, when we look at the defense, yes, that there is effort attached to it, but look at the times when we go after it and really look at the reads. The times where I get upset is third quarter. Mello is falling for a Kyle Anderson pump fake out on the perimeter. Let Kyle Anderson shoot that three rather than keeping the defense off balance and they make a couple passes and get a wide open three from a better shooter. So it's sometimes it's less about effort and more about what reads you're making. And that's going to be the case going into the, the next round, because we don't know the status of Zach Collins and clearly Ariza and hood aren't there. So the Blazers are going to have to take a, a marathon sprint, a marathon runners mindset and realize when you're going to kick and when you're going to go and when you're going to try to stay afloat and stay above water, that that's really what it's going to be. It's going to be a long game for our Portland trailblazers moving forward. Josh Engelman posted something on Twitter that said when our big three is in, they're allowing 70% at, at the paint. Going against one of the best slashers ever in LeBron James, it. I think that in this particular series, of course defending the perimeter is going to be important, but I think defending the interior is going to be even more so just because of the personnel the Lakers have. They've got LeBron, AD, JaVale McGee gives us fits. Dwight Howard probably will give us fits too. Those are four post-centric players that do their best work there. I think the the fact that we do have a Nurkic and a Hassan is huge, but if if Zach can physically perform, we're going to need him too because there's a lot of slashers on this Lakers team and seeing that he was still out on the out with the the bench in in the Orlando arena didn't look too discouraged yeah he didn't look too messed up about it I would assume he's going to be good to go again we're recording this a little after 4 p.m pacific standard time the Saturday after the Blazers have defeated the Memphis Grizzlies Portland doesn't have to play until Tuesday evening I would assume he is good to go but Sage I want to get your thoughts on Wenyan Gabriel versus Mario Hazonia. 
clearly Hassan Whiteside and Gary Trent Jr. are six and seven in the Blazer rotation, mm-hmm. but they're going to need to play maybe eight, nine guys. I'm pro Wenyon and have been pro Wenyon for a while, especially going into this bubble. And we see Hazonia, he has stretches. He hit that first three and he had that incredible block, but then he really thought he had the green light and was taking shots out of the Blazers offense, really not even coming close on the remaining, the remainder of his three point attempts didn't have much of an impact. And of course, didn't see the floor the remainder of the second half. Whereas Wynion Gabriel started knocked it. down his only three point shot off of a, of a, of a, a drill penetration plays good defense is an energi- energizer and is always active around the rim. Remember he started that game in Los Angeles on Kobe Bryant night because Carmelo Anthony uh, chose to chose to not play. He has done it before. He's really an unproven and there's really not a lot of tape on him. So I, I really am pro Wenyon in letting him get that eighth spot in the rotation because one, I think he's a better defender and I just think he knows his role a little bit better. His ceiling may not be what as- he's able to do better because Rio has confidence that he can do a, B and C when really he can just do a, so you're giving me the worst possible, you know, it, it's, it's a bad option versus an okay option. Of course, we're going to take the okay option. Um, I'm happy that Terry Stotts realized that Rio was wild and, and didn't reward him with any more PT and gave all the extra playing time to Wenyon. But Wenyon is, was the better player for that second half just because of the team that we're playing against. I, I think Rio, because of how tall he is, is going to see less and less of the of the uh the court just because we're playing such a big team Wenyon's gotta play and then I think it's important we call out Carmelo Anthony Carmelo Anthony according to stat muse on Twitter hit six threes in the clutch during the bubble games the most by any player and he shot 55 percent on those clutch attempts from three-point range Sage, you can see the the confidence and trust that Damon CJ have in him. Clearly, he's a, a future Hall of Famer on the court currently. But he hit that. It, it was beautiful. We were up three. And as soon as he caught the ball, I'm like, I am okay with this shot. I love this Green. shot, actually. Yeah. Green release. Same spot he hit it twice in the first game against Memphis. I mean, he has hit big three after big three. He's done it damn near every game in the bubble. He quite frankly, didn't play the best game. You know, he got to the line 10 times and knocked down all 10, which is fantastic. He had 21 points, but he was five of 15 from the field. And he was Oh, for five from three before that attempt. So that shows the trust, the confidence, and and it shows the confidence Melo has in himself as he should, because He's been there and done that. And so just to have that outlet was, I think, a godsend for, for Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum because they're going to be seeing a lot of different looks uh, in the first round of the playoffs. And to have a guy like Carmelo to kind of settle things down and just the gravity that Damian C.J. really just have on a defense, it's going to leave guys like Melo and Gary Trent Jr. open and – I think the amount of games Portland's able to take from the Lakers is really going to depend on those two in particular making the defense pay and hitting those knockdown shots. Melo's been a release valve for us. I mean, you see him taking really clutch shots off the catch and shoot 
basically this entire bubble. He's he's been their release valve. Honestly, on a catch and shoot, I expect it to go in. That's how clutch and how consistent he's been on that play all year. Is you know what if he has the runway. I feel great about him taking as many catch and shoots as he can. He's a Hall of Fame player. He's going to hit, and he hits at the optimal time, especially uh, as of late. But, yeah, I mean, Melo's been great. Gary Trent just made so many clutch defensive plays. Like, you see him make reads, like, when he gets screened. He'll, 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 he'll yeah, he'll, uh, He'll bait the pass and then intercept it and then turn it into a fast break himself. So along with those five steals, he had two blocks, mm-hmm. three of six shooting, hit that big three, one of three from, from, from downtown. And this is what you're seeing. Teams are starting to have to pay respect to Gary Trent Jr. in the middle of these seeding games when he started to get a lot of playing time in a lot of those open looks. Teams weren't respecting him. And he had just absolutely all day to make a sandwich, have a beer, play Monopoly, and still get off that that three-point shot. He's not getting um, that disrespect anymore. Teams aren't leaving him open. And that is a benefactor for the Blazers because that allows more spacing, uh, one less defender that Dame or CJ has to worry about. And so that's why it is a team game. Even the best players need role players to step up and really make the, keep the defense honest. And I think the Blazers, I don't know if it's going to result in, in an advancement in the first round, but this is why you have to at least like the team right here and right now and where they are going into the future because you have got shot makers and Lillard and McCollum. You've got release valves in Trent and Carmelo Anthony. You've got one of the best centers in the league in Nurkic. And you got a couple of young pieces that you can either trade or, or build around, but you've got your core and the Blazers like the Memphis Grizzlies should use this bubble as a catapult for, for next season. And, you know, you know, Yusuf Nurkic in his post-game interview really said, we don't see ourselves as an eighth seed. Like the Blazers don't need to treat this as a first round. They can treat this as a Western conference finals appearance, whether they win or lose, it's really how competitive they can be knowing they don't really have their full arsenal at, at their, you know, at their home. I would argue that during finishing five rotations, Gary Trent's been open a lot. Players like uh, Mello seem to not trust him enough when he's posting up. Gary Trent's guy leaves him to defend the post and we're not hitting him. So there's definitely some opportunities for him to get even more open shots because you know, when when Dame or CJ is going off, it's normally that corner guy helping. I, th- I think that there's there could be a case said that Gary Trent still gets disrespected on finishing five rotation lineups. That that is that is a valid point. Um, obviously, yeah, I haven't rewatched the game uh, just yet, but I'll take a look at that because I, I bet you're right on that one. But Sage. This is just another reminder why the Blazers can't just trade CJ for, for whatever. Um, Gary Trent is a release valve at this point in his career. doesn't mean he's not going to progress, but you see the, the stress that two shot creators mm-hmm. can put on a defense. Like Dame played 45. He can't take his man off the bounce every possession down the court. You need another bucket getter. And in CJ, 
basically looked like game seven in Denver CJ the last two nights, um, especially in the clutch. And this is what you need. And I know he's a small shooting guard. He may not be the best defender in the world, but in the playoffs, the game is going to slow down. You're going to need to get some isolation buckets. You're going to need to let Dame take a couple of plays off on the offensive end of the floor. And you're going to need the defense to understand that we can't just send the kitchen sink at Lillard because, oh, shit, McCollum can go ISO. Mm. Mello and Trent can hit open shots. Oh, and there's the Bosnian beast that can really score anywhere on the floor. I mean, the way that he was spot, like he would do his dribble setups and you know, hit hit the defenders the last two games with like incredible hezy behind the back combos. Having as many options to attack the defense as possible is a huge thing. So we can't we can't just get rid of CJ for what whatever and whomever. He's showing his value in these uh, in these games and against that Nets team, he picked up Karis Levert the last five minutes of the game when Gary picked up his fifth. And honestly, looking back at a few days later, I don't remember times when Karis Levert went extra, went extra hard against us. So if he kept the same rhythm as he did against Gary Trent, it's a, it's fine. Like he, he, if he's willing to take on all comers defensively, that's great. It's just this playoff CJ is so much more different than the, the regular se- regular season CJ, it's 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 really awesome to see him contribute in you know the multitude of ways because he's always going to get buckets. He'll, he'll always be able to score, but when he's assisting, when he's getting mellow that extra pass for that corner three, it, it shows his value. And it, it, it's I, I get it. It's tough for a smaller guard to show his value, but we probably got one of the best small sh- scoring guards ever in CJ McCollum. Sage, now that you've had a chance to see what a play-in scenario looks like coming down the stretch, the ninth place team needs to be within four games to force that plan of, of the eighth seed in, in any given conference. Is this a format you would like to see the NBA adopt moving forward? I think now that it exists, it's a uh, valid, valid argument. I think that it would add extra revenue, which the NBA is all about, that extra game or two. So thinking of it that way, I like it. But if I was a fan of the eighth-seeded team, I'd be like, shit, we have to, to, you know, prove ourselves one more time. But I I do like that there's extra competition if it's within a barrier, a filter, where they're within the four games. I think it's it's fine. But I wouldn't want to reward the ninth team being like 10 games below the eighth. So there needs to be that, the restriction of games behind. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the four game barrier is is wonderful. It it really brings a lot of excitement to some teams that might not get all of the national coverage that the, the Lakers and Celtics and Bucks of the world get. I also really think it helps prevent teams from tanking. Uh, make no mistake about it. Owners are all about that revenue. And once things get back to normal or if they do or not, like you're, you're, you're getting additional, you're getting additional fans to the games. Like more people are excited to attend. You're probably getting more national televised games 
And in the case of a play and you're getting additional exposure on national television and it's all about that money. Owners want to make the playoffs and get those extra two to four, two to three, you know, first round games. That's a lot of extra coin. It's a lot of extra exposure. The eighth seed in theory would be make more money than the seventh seed because they would have that extra home home game. Yeah, I, I really loved that format. Like there are certain rules that you hear come up, you know, maybe a, a play in tournament or or something, and you just kind of scratch your head and like doesn't really pass the smell test. This sounded good from the get-go and was even better when it was executed, you know, in, in real life. I, I just loved that you had teams like the Suns and the Spurs going all out for it. And obviously Memphis was hanging on for a postseason berth. A team like Portland, who dealt with injuries all season long, was given a second chance. And I think that's really what it's all about. You know, um, I just think it was as a great rule and the game is always evolving. It's nice to implement some changes over the course of really the, the NBA lifespan. So I am all aboard the plan once we continue to move on with future seasons this was a slam dunk i think this was better than what even adam silver could, could have anticipated yeah i mean now that it exists there's that precedent like this is how successful it is let's just implement it in the future i don't think if this was a normal year and we're in april talking about the eighth seed i don't think that there's a- any way that this would be a possibility in the future but since it's an, it, it, it happened, now it, it could happen in the future, kind of like the DH rule in baseball. Now that every team has it, you can implement it a lot easier than if it didn't. All right, Sage, let's take a quick commercial break, and then we'll get back with our preview and predictions of the first round against the Los Angeles Lakers. Blazers versus Lakers. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Holy Backboard podcast. Dustin and Sage here. Sage, first and foremost, congratulations on going 9-0 and on your predictions for the seeding games. Hold for applause. You just got to kind of picture how the game flow will go in your head and then make the prediction off of that. And that's kind of what I've been doing, and it's been successful throughout this year. So the matchup, I think every... Blazer fan wanted, every Laker fan feared, every casual fan was excited to see is the Portland Trailblazers versus Los Angeles Lakers. Everyone knows this isn't a traditional 1-8 matchup. If Portland was healthy all year, you're looking at a a top four team probably in the Western Conference. A team coming off of a Western Conference finals appearance has arguably a top five player in the league in Damian Lillard going up against maybe the best player in LeBron James and another top 10 player in Anthony Davis. And both franchises have a lot of history with one another. They have played 11 times in the playoffs. The Lakers lead that series. It is a a Laker dominated series, nine, two. The Blazers are combined 16 and 31 in those games against the Lakers. And it's the first time that we have played the Lakers in 18 seasons. The two times Portland got got over the hump, 77, swept them out of the Western Conference Finals, and in 92, took three out of four to advance to the conference semifinals. I grew up in in the 90s watching Blazers-Lakers. Like, this is where I developed my my hatred for everything purple and gold. I mean, I'm talking about I saw them play in 91, 92, 
97, 98, 2000, 01, 02. Like there's, there was a span in there five out of the six years we faced this team and they handed us our lunch every single time. Broke our hearts as well. So this rivalry definitely means more to the Blazers than it does to the Lakers. I'm not going to pretend that the rivalry is reciprocated the other way as well. But I know Laker fans are big scared of what the Blazers have in the guards because, you know, Rondo's out, Avery Bradley's out, you know, that they're very light when it comes to defending guards right now. It's just Danny Green. I, 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 I have a friend who works for the Lakers uh, TV and he was just telling me how frightened they are of what Dame can potentially do. So to think that we're going to lay down for him is, is crazy. Cause we, we have, we, we have the scoring guards that can give this team fits. It's just Whether about spacing four or it goes seven. You hit the nail on the head. The Blazers aren't going to lay down. They're going to challenge the Lakers in every way possible, mentally, physically. This is a series that in the Eastern Conference, Milwaukee's going to be playing an Orlando team. They're probably going to sweep easy, bring out those brooms in game one. They're going to be able to rest their players. Like For the Lakers, this is this is their marathon. They, they're looking for series you know, to win consecutively. Do you think Giannis is going to play more than 30 minutes once? No. Maybe once, but I don't. You think LeBron and AD are playing 38 minutes each game? Yeah, absolutely. And that's where even if the Blazers don't advance, the Lakers could feel feel us. Mm. It is a month, a month and a half down the line, whether they're facing the Clippers or the Bucks or the Raptors or whoever ends up making it. Um, maybe the Blazers make it. Who knows? That's the beauty of, of this bubble. Mm. But that's where the the fear comes from a Lakers perspective is you get a team that is more talented than their position. They're finally getting healthy. They're hungrier than most teams, I would imagine. And I think they have the hottest player in the league in Damian Lillard, who loves facing the Lakers. In his career, he has faced the Lakers 27 times. He has played 36 minutes per night, which will be up in the postseason, averaging about 28 points per game, which is the third most against any other team. only uh, second and first to uh, the Jazz and the Golden State Warriors. He shot 46% from the field and 39 from three and averaged uh, seven assists and four and a half boards a game. Damian Lillard is a certified Laker killer. There are some players who are blazer killers. Damian Lillard is a Laker killer. And without, you mentioned it, without Rajon Rondo and Avery Bradley, yes, they have Anthony Davis who can help trap, but say, who is that guard that is going to take on that that call or that challenge of defending Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. I mean, right now, LeBron James is their point guard when they're starting LeBron, KCP, Danny Green, JaVale, and AD. LeBron is their lead initiator. But you can't expect LeBron to want, uh, to be able to defend either of the two guards for extended periods because you rely on him to set up everything offensively. You can't have him be on Dame for every rotation so it's going to be very select and kcp or danny green really it's it's the biggest advantage we got is attacking those those perimeter defenders i think portland has an advantage 
if they take care of the basketball. If the Lakers are going to take that step and say, we are not going to allow Damian Lillard to beat us single covered. Dame is good enough to get off a couple of looks, whether it's from the logo or to split the screen when it when trapped. But we saw Brooklyn trap Dame. Even Everybody had eyes on him. All five players yeah, had eyes five. on him yep. in the fourth quarter. The Blazers have an advantage if they are composed enough to make the right passes. So, you know, if Dame outlets to, to Gary or CJ, and then they then hit Nurk in the middle of the floor, like to me, this series is going to be defined by how much we can get from Yusuf Nurkic. Mm-hmm. At his peak, the best center in the league. When he's off his game a bit, he's probably above average just based on his defense and gravity that he um, pulls from the Lakers alone. But if he's able to finish around the rim, we saw him late in that game make a nice pass out of the free throw line. He did not commit the offensive foul. I believe he kicked it to the corner for an open three. I think it was CJ that hit that open three. If he can make smart decisions with the basketball and make Los Angeles pay for bringing Anthony Davis away from that basket, Mm. Portland has the ability to put up 130 a night. And it may be a series where the Blazers have to outscore the Lakers, but make no mistake about it, Sage. The series will be defined on how Portland makes Los Angeles pay for paying so much attention to Dame. So let's talk about our post matchups. Let's assume Zach's healthy. What is the defensive matchups and what do you think LA will defend our bigs with? If I'm Portland, this is the matchup that, that we've been talking. I mean, we talked about this matchup when we previewed all three all three games of the season against the Lakers. Like, how good would it would it be if we had Nurkic and Collins to go up against a traditional lineup? Uh, I think the beauty of this is the Blazers can kind of dictate who they want to to go. Uh, I would not put Nurkic out against Anthony Davis. I, um, I mean, we we've kind of seen what happens. Two different teams. Two different scenarios. I I think that Anthony Davis is Anthony Davis is too fluid of an athlete for Nurkic to stay on for significant por- portions of the game. I think you can put Nurkic on him maybe in crunch time situations, but Anthony Davis is able to score in a plethora of ways from really anywhere on that court. And if one of our bigs is to get into foul trouble, I'd much rather it be Zach Collins than Yusuf Nurkic. I'd rather have Nurk being able to be a weak side defender, um, really staying around the rim against a guy like Javel or Dwight Howard and letting a Zach Collins do his best to keep Anthony Davis perimeter oriented. Now we saw the Blazers get burnt by Brandon Clark, who hit four or five from downtown today. But that may be the, the poison the Blazers have to pick when it comes to Anthony Davis, because mm. he is... He's a you know once in a, a decade type of, type of big, mm-hmm. just like Dame. He's gonna beat you in multiple ways. So you kind of just have to decide how you shoot. Then exactly the lesser of two evils, so yeah. to speak. I mean, Anthony Davis is the Calvin Johnson of the NBA, the most talented player, or one of the most talented players. If there was a weakness in his game, I think that it's an inconsistent jump shot. I would much rather test that than have him work in the mid post or dunk it because he's fantastic at both of those. Like I, if there was a way to let him incentivize him to take corner threes, 
I think that's a dub for the Blazers in the long run. He it might kill us in a game, but in seven, he is not going to be a consistent three point shooter every single game. And you look on the offensive end, who the Lakers are going to put on Nurkic or Collins. If I'm the Blazers, I I don't. If the Lakers are going to play back, I then run the pick and roll with Anthony Davis not involved. So if he's guarding Collins, then I'm running it w- with Nurkic and vice versa. My fear is if he is guarding Collins and you try to run that pick and roll, I don't feel comfortable living with the Zach Collins three, even if it's wide open multiple times. That That is not a quality enough shot for me in this postseason. Now, Zach, I hope you can prove me wrong, but I would much rather run a pick and roll with Yusuf Nurkic. I think he's a better decision maker with the basketball in his hands. He can either continue to go to the basket for a layup or kick it out to a shooter, but we – it, it kind of terrifies me to be perfectly honest. If we do pick and pop with, with Zach Collins, because you, it's just you just don't know what you're going to get. Wouldn't it be the most perfect time for a Zach Collins to have a ceiling games against Anthony Davis? Lovely. That would be completely lovely. And I'm not saying you don't even chance it. Of course, you give Zach a chance to prove himself. But with the way the Blazers are going to have to defend, the lack of depth that we have. I don't want to put too much pressure on the offense, but you know, the cliche of every possession mattering, it is heightened probably times 10 in the postseason, And even more so for this blazer team that again, if they win and we look back, it's going to be because we outscored the Lakers. Like it's, I don't think it's going to be because we put the clamps on LeBron. That's not going to happen. For Zach Collins. Like we have Zach Collins memories. What teams did he do the best against? It was the Warriors Denver in the postseason. So maybe he needs the challenge of going against the Golden State Warriors or the, you know, the Nuggets. Maybe he, this is what hypes him up so he isn't as timid as a, as a power forward. How many bigger challenges for a, a power forward is there than an Anthony Davis one-on-one One matchup? If he isn't inspired to play in a playoff game starting against the best power forward in the NBA. There's there's a significant problem that we really need to discuss in serious detail. But as a competitor, don't you want to go against the best in your position? This is your chance for at least four games to focus on the most talented power forward in the game. Absolutely. And I think Zach will be inspired. It's more, I want him to be calm and... Just play in the moment. Don't think. You see when Zach struggles, he has Myers Leonard uh, mm. syndrome, essentially. Like he overthinks it. It's like, should I shoot this? Should I not shoot this? Just play basketball, catch and shoot, drop that three. If you get the ball in the paint, flush it with, with one, two hands. Play strong, play aggressive, play angry. Um, I was talking to Olga, I was talking to Olga with this. And maybe the bubble is impacting him because he did say, like, I have a vulgar mouth. But he Mm. saw in game one of those seeding games how many technicals the referees were doling out. So maybe he's felt like he's had to reel himself back in a bit. So that's a sneaky thing to keep your eye on if that's impacting the way Zach Collins would rather Mm. play. I mean, for Zach, it's a dribble decision. He doesn't get that extra dribble. He has to make a very quick decision whether he's going to shoot the shot, pass it, Whatever the case may be, he has to make very quick decisions because if he takes his sweet-ass time, 
Anthony Davis is going to steal the ball. And it's just such a unique matchup for, for all 16 teams, Sage, mm. in this bubble. There, there is zero home court advantage. There's no travel. There's a game every other day. But there's also no pressure to steal the, one of the first two games or to protect your home court. Like if you're up 2-1, you're like, oh, God, we got to protect this You know, game four because mm. we only get one more after this. That's not there. There's also no pressure on, oh, you know, we're up 3-1. We got to close this out at home. Otherwise, we got to go back to Portland. No, that, that doesn't exist. Like, Yeah, every, there's no Neil O'Shea saying, it's all right. We can finish it at home type of, yeah, exactly. type of pressure. The, the old adage is a series doesn't start until the road team picks up a victory. There is no road team. Mm-hmm. Thankfully for the Blazers, they are the last team to tip off in, in that postseason so they can kind of see that maybe how teams – yeah, seeing teams how are adjusting to playoffs, um, what it's going to look like. I saw a lot of competitive basketball in, in the bubble, and the Blazers certainly have been playing playoff basketball for the last eight, nine games. So that's going to be a big challenge, and it's also going to be a big opportunity. And if you're looking at it from a Laker perspective, they've had the one seed really locked up ever since they stepped foot in Orlando. They haven't had to play a tight contest they haven't really looked in sync, to be quite honest. They're missing Bradley. They're missing Rondo. Uh, LeBron and AD have kind of swapped, you know, playing games. And I think they are looking for that that third scorer. Yeah. Sage, if, if you're the Blazers, who are you keying in on to not allow to heat up as that Laker third scorer? I think, it, I think it, Kyle Kuzma kind of fits that bill where it's a, it's a highly confident basketball player, and once one hits, that confidence goes even higher. I think Kuzma would be their third scorer. And, you know, when you think of a LeBron James team, they have elite third scorers. This Lakers team is like, the top two are great, but there's a humongous drop-off. Like, they have to either be the best defensive team in the league, or they're going to get exposed somehow by someone for not having an established third score. I think Kyle Kuzma would be the most likely candidate, but you know, the KCP can get hot and he can have confidence. Dion waiters has played some good minutes. He can kind of initiate off the bench. J.R. Smith can get hot. There's players that can get hot, but it isn't a consistent, like I know that, I'm going to expect 18 points out of this player. It's a surprise every single game. So we can't let those players that can get hot, those microwave players that can get hot in an instant, have that chance. You know, I would agree with you on Kyle Kuzma. I think two of the names to watch out if you're a Blazer fan are Danny Green. He's done it before. He's won titles with San Antonio and Toronto. Portland cannot leave him open. And then JaVale McGee. He had success against the Blazers as a bouncy big when he was with the Warriors. And during that 17-18 season uh, with the Lakers. So the Blazers are going to have to always be aware of that lob threat, both with he and and Dwight Howard. But Sage, when the Blazers went down to Los Angeles uh, back in January, when it was Kobe Bryant night, they ended up winning 127 to 119. There's really not too many takeaways you can really pull from that because the rosters were so completely different. Mm. I mean, you know, Trevor Ariza starting, we had no Collins, no Nurkic. Carmelo Anthony sat out that game. But if there are certain things you can pull away, like we talked about Damian Lillard 
he was able to steal the show. He went off for 48 points. Um, you had Hassan Whiteside, who had a ceiling game, 30 and 13 with five blocks on 13 and 14 shooting. I think the Blazers are going to need Hassan Whiteside in the series. I think it's foolish and naive to believe that that Nurkic can just do it all alone. Um, it, it, this is a really talented and active Lakers front court. We are going to need the Hassan we saw against Brooklyn rather than the Hassan we saw against Memphis. And I think this matchup suits him a little bit better because McGee and Howard both want to hang out around the rim rather than yeah. drag him out on the perimeter. If there is an opportunity for us to go jumbo lineup against this traditional team, it looks like the Lakers play 24-24 with JaVale and Dwight. But could you see a lineup where we just say, let's just dominate this backboard and really impose our will with the Hassan Nurk front court? Yeah, I think you could easily go Hassan Nurk versus AD slash JaVale or or Dwight. Um, Nurkic can guard Davis for stretches. I wouldn't expect it for 48 minutes, but for stretches, you can definitely do that. And if Hassan has a ceiling game like he did back in January, you definitely want him out on the floor as much as possible. Um, I I think this is a matchup that, you know, it's unfortunate you have to go up against LeBron and Anthony Davis, but they like to play a way that that plays into Portland's strength. They don't Mm -hmm. like to really hoist up a lot of threes that they don't, go small a whole lot. They play traditional basketball. They just happen to have two of the all-time greats uh, initiating that offense. Yeah. I mean, I think that the the key to this is we have to have people at the basket, and thank goodness that they run such a big lineup that will always have at least one big hanging out next to the basket since JaVale and Dwight are not shooting threats at all. So what that – post player has to do is defend the lob but really defend that penetration that's the most important thing like if they throw a lob to javel sucks but try and get a hand up to tip the ball away that's not gonna javel mcgee isn't killing us it's lebron james and anthony davis i would really have that person in the dunkers defending the dunker spot focus on just taking out that middle. So the drive is harder. Sage, what is your X factor for the Blazers in terms of how they're defending? And what is your X factor for the Blazers in terms of what they do on the offensive end of of the floor for game one? I think our X factor is Zach Collins played minutes. If he only plays two rotations, that means that we really are struggling for big minutes. He has to stay out of foul trouble. He has to have a big series. So I think him being on the floor is an X factor. Do you think this is a series defining performance for Zach Collins as a future member of the Portland Trailblazers? Yeah, I honestly do because everybody's watching him. This is the first time in forever that we're semi-healthy. Players in his draft class are getting paid now and in the future. We're going to have a huge decision to make regarding Zach Collins if we're going to give him a big contract or are we going to trade him. So this is a huge test for him. When, When teams take chances on bigs, especially in this time period, if they don't balloon 
and produce, they're usually getting traded for essentially what pick they were in trade in the draft. So this is huge for him, not only for his Blazers career, but honestly, let's be real for his NBA career. Uh, <clears throat> Gary Trent, I, I want to know what we do with Gary Trent defensively. Offensively, I think we run pretty similar offense to what we normally would. If they decide to trap, then it gets to the point where it's we've, we've done it before. We've played that type of offense. Nurk has to be an initiator. And, uh, but I, I don't think they're going to do anything too crazy defensively against us. I think they're going to try and run their schemes until Dame proves that he can score against them consistently. Who guards LeBron in your opinion? Gary Trent Jr. probably has to. You know, Nasir right. Little would be cool. Or uh, Wenyan Gabriel would be better. When, so Wenyan was the one that, that drew that, that assignment uh, in, in the first, that last contest, excuse me. So I would love to see Wenyan out there as well. You know, you got six fouls, use him, young fella. But my X factor when you're looking at defending the Lakers is LeBron James and his distribution. I think you want to turn LeBron into a scorer. He led the league in assists uh, over 10 a game for, I think, the first time in his career. I mean, given his age and really his position swap, that, that is just phenomenal. He is one of the best playmakers at his size that the game has really probably seen since Magic Johnson. I think if he is – you have to treat him like Magic Johnson because if he is getting upwards of 13, 14, 15-plus assists – it's lights out because you already know you're going to probably get 25 or 30 from LeBron. So I want to see those assist numbers lowered if I'm a Blazer fan. And on the offensive end, you know, as much as we talked about help, Damian Lillard's going to have to go supernova at least in one of these first two games and, and maybe get us a 50 piece because I think that really puts the Lakers on their heels. And I think once you're going up against once you're the underdog, you've got to throw the first punch and you've got to get them rocking a bit. And I think Dame really setting the tone and being aggressive is going to open up everything for everyone else. And so that's what I'm looking for in, in this first game. And Sage, the for those listening, game one will be Tuesday, uh, 6 p.m., televised locally on NBC Sports Northwest and TNT. And then the games go every other day. So you've got game two, Thursday uh, at 6 p.m. on NBC Sports Northwest and ESPN. Game three is one week from today on Saturday. That is on ABC at 5.30 exclusive. And then game four will be Monday, August 24th at 6 p.m. Again on NBC Sports Northwest locally and TNT. So the NBA did the Blazers a big favor. They don't have to play until Tuesday. They get two full days of rest and every game is in prime time. Sage, you have been perfect, my friend, in these prediction games. Uh, let's hear what you've got for the series and then what you've got for, for game one. I think the Lakers win game one. And I think that you, you talked about LeBron James as an initiator first, and I think you're, you're totally right. If he gets 14 assists, that means JaVale's involved. That means one of the shooters is involved. There, there, there's a lot of risk letting him be that initiator. And I think we will learn our lesson in game two of incentivizing him to be the scorer and a shooter rather than an initiator. So I think game one, it's going to be a close game, but I think the Lakers pull it out because LeBron uh, does either initiates and gets 15 
or puts 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 this thing down and scores a lot. I mean, I did mention it earlier. We allow seventy percent at the hoop. That is a that is a very dangerous aspect going against the, this Lakers team. So I think the Lakers do win this game. I don't know if I can do the series without seeing a game, but if I was to guess now, I would say the Lakers win, but I would like to see how these two teams match up in reality and not in my mind trying to, you know, make this prediction now. But I think the Lakers win this one. For the Lakers in the series. What's up? How many games does the series go? Six or seven, probably. You know, I, I hate to be... What's the word I'm looking for? You know, basically agreeing with you and, and not providing a, a lot of a banter back and forth. But I think game one will go to the Lakers. I, I think this will be a feel out game. If you're the Blazers, I think all you want to do is be competitive. And again, make them feel you, make them fear you. If we go in there and get blown out, I think that could take a lot of wind out of our sails. And I think it could give the Lakers even more confidence or it could make them overconfident. You know, we've seen plenty of series. Uh, the Blazers got absolutely killed in game one of the Western Conference Finals in 2000, ended up forcing that bad boy to seven. Clearly two completely different teams, but it, it happens. It's happened throughout NBA history. But I just think for the Blazers' mindset, you want to keep this close. You want to feel like you have a chance. And if I'm giving a, a serious prediction, I would say the Lakers in six. Um, I, th- I think this is a team the Blazers could honestly beat. I, I just I think once you get down to brass tacks and are having to play every other day, if we had Trevor Reza, Rodney Hood, um, I would feel so much better about this game. I think the Blazers are on the right path. I, I really just can't wait to see how they come out. And they have the horses. Dame, CJ, and Nurk is a damn good big three. Dame is playing the best basketball of anybody in the entire league. If there is one player that you want for a series, it is Damian Lillard. He can get it done. So I wouldn't be surprised if we pull this out. But Sage, given from where we were probably in mid-December, once Rodney Hood went down with that Achilles, and where we are now, the fact that we made the playoffs is a huge W, in my opinion. I just want to go out there. I want to be competitive. I want to take a couple of games. And I want to use this as a building block for next season because we are in Damian Lillard's prime. And I think we are really only a couple of small moves away from really being a championship contender. But the mindset and the mentality, it all starts starts Tuesday. So LeBron plays 36 minutes. Who's defending him for the 36? Given our starting lineup, you know Melo's going to get get his share against yeah. LeBron. And then I think you probably put Gary Trent Jr., Wenyan Gabriel. Um, we talk about Zach Collins getting into foul trouble as being an X-factor. I think Gary Trent Jr. is as well. He is clearly our best and most aggressive perimeter defender. And if he's able to play the type of physical defense that he was against a Luka Doncic, for example – I think that only bodes well for the Trailblazers, but if the officials are calling it really tight, um, that's going to be a big hindrance on the Blazers because Gary Trent, he just he has his own gravity to him. The, the team raises their, com- their their combined level of intensity when he is on the floor. He has that type of pull on the defensive end, hypes everyone up. He has the confidence of his teammates. Uh, I think that that's a massive key is if he can stay out of foul trouble. Yeah, I mean, 
Lakers, I mean, with AD and LeBron, they f- survive off of fouls. So if we can defend without fouling, using our verticality to defend at the hoop, it's huge. Like, Anthony Davis has been able to get free throws his entire career. His entire career. It isn't stopping now. They're not going to not call fouls on Anthony Davis. He's great at selling contact. So we I would argue really that if you can make this game close enough, I would argue that Anthony fail. Davis isn't really a money player. No. Like he's really good when the going's good. Like, you know, everything's going great and, oh, I'm going to shoot this three. I'm going to catch this lob. But when the going gets tough and he's got to perform with the game on the line, I haven't seen him just really hit he too hasn't many. He has been clutch since 2000. When did the Blazers play the uh, Pelicans? 18. He hasn't been clutch since 2018. That is a big win, in my opinion. If the Blazers can make the Lakers feel us, and, and it goes down to the wire, let the Lakers know this isn't going to be a cakewalk. And my only concern is that we had to expand so much energy just, just to get to this point, but hopefully they can rest and recuperate. They can get their minds off of the game and relax. I do think they need to relax for at least 24 hours, decompress, and then get, get to focus. And how, how big is our rotation going to be game one? I personally would love to see eight to nine players. I just don't think you can win long-term playing seven guys. Mm-hmm. So um, does that mean Anthony's coming off the bench? And Anthony playing? has to play. He has to play the series and he has to play well. I don't care if it's three minutes or 10 minutes. We need to get him on the floor just, just for a little bit of a breather. Yeah, for Damon CJ. Damon CJ and, can't play 48. And honestly, as much as we talk about Zach Collins being a big series, it's a big series for Anthony Simons. If you're going to get roasted by Alex Caruso, that doesn't bode well for Anthony going into this offseason. Like, Anthony has the talent. We need him to just run the offense, give effort. I and mean, he gives effort, but just communicate on defense. And if you're open, hit, hit an open shot. Don't feel like the weight of the offense is on his shoulders. And I feel like that's what he does when he's in the game. He just feels that pressure. He's just, if you're open, shoot the ball. If not, pass. Like So would he be the lead initiator? Set. Let's just say it's Anthony, Gary, and CJ. Would Anthony run that offense, or would he just be a, a hash setter or a corner setter? Do you want him initiating it, or would do you just need him on the court to soak up time? We need to, I think he would be better in this. Like, I want to set up Anthony for success. I think I would let CJ run the offense. And if mm-hmm. the defense doubles off of him, you kick it out to Ant. Like, I don't think you want Ant to be a decision maker in the postseason. I don't think that's fair to him right now. I don't think he's quite ready for it. And he's clearly a player, like most players, that play off of rhythm and confidence. You don't want to crush that, that kid's confidence right off the bat. Let him see the ball go in a couple of times. He's got talent. We, we, we've seen it. Once he f- sees that ball go in, okay, I, I'm just going to go out here. Hoop. This is just an open gym. That's all it really takes. I mean, it sounds easy. It's much easier in practice or in theory than in practice. But trying to dunk it on Anthony Davis is a lot different than trying to dunk it on an empty gym, you know. But, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't put him in a, in a uh, position to run the offense but I think that he needs to be out there just as a person who can eat minutes because we can't afford to have Dame go 48 for seven games because we won't have him for game seven. No. 
I, I think 40 minutes should be a nice number for Dame and CJ. Yeah. I, I definitely do see. So who's, so it's Hassan, it's uh, Ant, and it's Gary. Is there anyone else that make, surprises us? I think that it, it's a better chance Wayne. I mean, I hope it's Wenyan. Yeah. I, I hope it is. Like, I appreciate Rio's hustle, but there's too much inconsistency. Like, it's like watching Evan Turner all over again. Or Al Farouk Aminu, that, that initiated. Aminu was, Aminu was light years better than Hazonia. Like, I'm not an Aminu fan, but like, that's, let's put a little bit of respect on, uh, on Chief's name. Putting him in a position to initiate offense, though. It Which we didn't weird. do with Chief. Like that, that was that would be stupid. Yeah. I don't know why we do it with Rio. Like play Wenyan. He's not gonna try to handle the basketball. He's not gonna try to do more than he's capable of. You know, of. once he gets a rebound, he's passing it to some guard. Yeah, and, and once Rio like, gets the rebound, he's got tunnel vision. He's going straight to the basket, whether mm-hmm. that's one on none or one on five. Yeah. So yeah, I want to see Wenyan. I, I am a big Wenyan guy. Yeah. I think we have a big ro- bigger rotation. We just need to be able to spell the starters. That's it. We just have to spell them. And it's not a sneaky X factor. It's a major X factor. The third quarter, Memphis put up 42 on us in the third quarter. We get outscored every goddamn third quarter. I don't know what it is, but we cannot let the Lakers blitz us. Hmm. They are too good of a team, and they are good enough where if they blitz us, they can smother us and not let us back up. Yeah, I mean, Um, they are a good defensive team. They, they might not be the best defensive team ever to make up for their lack of a third option, but they're, they were one of the best in the league and they're very, they're a very slow team. So with the pace, it means there's less possessions for us to score. So each individual uh, possession is more important than, than the next, just because there aren't as many, like the philosophy is if you're a worse team, you go slow. Well, they're the best team in the NBA, and they go slow. So it means that does every possession is that much tighter. What would you consider us a success after this series is over? Two wins would be huge. I, I would 100% buy that. I would take one. Honestly, we're, we're recording directly after the game. I'd take one, but I'd be very happy with two. Yeah, I, I think I, I told Olga this as well. I just want two games. I want the games to be competitive. I want to feel going into the offseason that we're just a couple of small moves away from beating a team like the Lakers. We have a good enough star in Dame. Like, let's. And our third, the third options, light years ahead. Light years. All right, Sage. I think that about wraps this one up. Again, if you haven't already, text USPS to 50409. It'll send a letter to your representatives that will help them fight to save the post office. Um, We got to do what we can do to keep our democracy so that everyone has the ability to cast their, their vote, especially in the pandemic Uh, waiting in line for a poll is, is going to be a tough ask to ask a lot of people during this pandemic. And also I want to shout out uh, Yusuf Nurkic Um, rip city is with you. Um, I don't think people understand the sacrifice that he made not being with his grandmother or or playing after finding out that she has passed. These athletes are people too. They are human. So when you talk shit or you criticize, 
take a step back and breathe. These players are out there playing for the love of the game. They're playing for their teammates. They're playing for you. So have some respect for what they're doing. They're without their friends and their family. Yes, it is a resort. Yes, they make millions of dollars. But at the end of the day, they're just like you and me. They're humans. And Nurkic, we are thinking about you, big fella. Um, We will never forget this performance. And he even said, like, I didn't want to play, but my grandma made me. Um, And I, I think he definitely, no matter what his stat line was, he made her proud today, and uh, I want to want to thank Nurkic and everyone who has really put everything aside to, to come to this bubble for basically. I mean, it's our entertainment. That's what. Yes, they do this for a career, but this is our entertainment. So, shout out to them. Big respect. Uh, this nine bubble games has been a thrilling ride, and I'm excited we get to keep going. And Sage, I'm excited we got at least four more episodes in us this season. Let's hope for a little bit more and let's get out. I mean, beat LA, right? Yeah. And we are available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Nothing But Net Radio, Dash Radio, Tuesdays, 2 to 3, Pacific, Eastern, 4 to 5. And if you've listened this far, you're a real one. And we'll talk to you after game one. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!